I forgot to mention, I remember now when <laughs> Kevin II walks in, you need to be pray- also remember to be praying for Juliet. <laughs> okay, she is home not feeling well, correct? Pink eye and stuff, so you know, they've, they've been camping and... Uh, Again, Mary's had to be home with her, so that's why she's not here this morning. If you could be, again, praying for them. And um, pray for Dave and Jamie Die. Okay, different things going on with them. I know they would want to give a praise if they were here. I don't know if they make it out tonight, but normally it's very hard with their pain levels. I know Jamie's going through a lot of things. Yeah, Dave. But the the one good thing with that is they have been trying to deal with workers' comp for this one area over a year, and the judge decided in their his favor. Amen. So you can be praying for them. It'll meet a difference in what they have to live on, because he's not ever going to able truly be able to go back to work again. So you need to be praying for him. He's probably looking at surgery uh, on his spine. So I'd ask you to be praying for them. Jamie's got things coming up. You know, she has to talk to the surgeons again, which struggle that she's having. So. With that, when, you don't, when someone's not here, we mentioned they're sick and not feeling well, could you do me a favor? Could you give them a call? Let them know their seat is empty and they are missed. Okay, because, you know, so many times when people aren't here and they don't hear from the church family, they start feeling not part of the family. Okay, so you need to give people a call every now and then. Amen? Amen. Okay, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we read verses 1 through 8. You know, and this morning, the message is based on an analogy or a symbol or a type that's used to describe the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and His church. And God does that many times in the Scriptures. You'll find types or analogies, okay, comparisons, symbols to describe that relationship. And you notice it says, and I said, his church, it's not my church, it's not your church, it's his church. And his church is the body of Christ, it's not a body of Christ here and a body of Christ there and a body of Christ some other place. That's Baptist bride doctrine, and I don't believe scripture supports that, okay? If they're saved, they're in the body. Okay. Now this is a local assembly that's part of the body of Christ. But we're not a separate body from other bodies. Okay. So I want you to understand, it's His church. And I say that because it's not the most holy Roman Catholic church. And if Mike Viscom was here this morning, he'd go, Amen, brother. <laughs> okay. You know, that's somebody else's church. That's not Jesus Christ's church. It's not the United Methodist Church. It's not the Southern Baptist Convention. I say that because I teased this morning with my son and my daughter-in-law for so many years where he's been in the military. They've traveled, they've been members in some Southern Baptist churches, the ones closest by to them and serving in them. As a matter of fact, if, my, if this was a Southern Baptist Church, then because of his past service, in some Southern Baptist Convention churches, I would automatically be encouraged by the convention to make my son a deacon in this church. Okay? Aren't you glad we're not Southern Baptist Convention? 
Okay. So it's just things are different. Now, are they saved? Southern Baptist? Yes. Okay. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm not saying that all who are in the United Methodist Church aren't saved. Some of them are saved. At least Southern Baptist Convention teaches salvation the way the Bible teaches it. The United Methodist Church has, has gotten to a place where it teaches it according to water baptism. Don't believe me? Check it out. The Roman, Holy Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is found in the, the church itself. You need to know this morning, salvation is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't become His bride without coming into Him. You don't become part of the body unless you're part of Him. And see, in our text, it, you will see different things. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, the second half of the, the verse, the first half, Jesus is talking to Peter and He says, And thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So today we're going to look at and examine the vine and the branches. The vine and the branches. Jesus is the true vine. He said in verse 1 of our text, I am the true vine. My Father is the husbandman. He's the true vine. Turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I like to read this text every so often when I start feeling that it's not going my way and I need my whoopee. I need Judy to feel sorry for me. And I want to stay in my room and put a pillow over my head. And she says, you've got to go to church. You've got to go to church. You've got to go to church because you're the pastor. Who hath believed our report? Isaiah 53, verse 1. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a what? Tender plant. As a root out of dry, dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne what? Our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our what? And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as with sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. See, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, 
and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Every time I read that passage, it makes me think of Fox's book of martyrs. And for those who suffered so that they could be identified with the one who suffered for them. He is the true vine. You know, in verse 2, it says He's a tender plant. In verse 4, He hath borne. In verse 5, He was wounded. In verse 10, It pleased the Lord. In verse 12, He made intercession. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. He's the true vine. He is the only one who can give life. We're looking at the vine and the branches. Look at verse 3 of our opening text. We're going to come back and forth to John 15, so put a marker there. Verse 3, he says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. You're to abide in the vine. The definition of abide. To rest or dwell. To continue permanently or in the same state. To be firm, unmovable, immovable. To remain, to continue. See, to reside in Jesus Christ is where every person who's called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ resides. That's salvation. But to abide in Him is to live day by day through Him. Many a believer resides in Christ. So many times, we don't abide with Him. Abide with me, fast falls eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close, Ebbs our life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O Thou who changest not, abide with me. I need Thy presence every passing hour. What but 
but thy grace can foil the tempter's power, who like thyself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine, oh, abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me. To rest or dwell, continue, to be firm, to remain. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth where? In me, in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You want to go to heaven? You've got to take up residence in Jesus Christ. You've got to call upon Him and ask Him to be your only Lord and Savior. You want to abide in Him? That's the Christian life. That's the Christian walk. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I have part of this underneath the glass on my desk. You know, they just cleaned my office greatly. It smells clean for a little while. My desk looks better, you know, and then um, it was cleaned up and looked very professional. Now I've cluttered it back up so I can feel more like home again. All right? But I have different things put underneath there, and one of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Another one is the difference between a job and the ministry. To always remind myself, this is not a job. This is a ministry. Okay? And it needs to be approached that way. But I want you to see what you're going to understand is it says in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have gift, the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, what does God say you are? Nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, oh, he's such a good man. And though I give my body to be burned, he's dedicated. And have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly. If you don't know what unseemly means, <laughs> ask Pastor Kenny tonight. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. 
beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. And whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When you're a child, it's about you. When you're an adult, it should be about others. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then shall I know even as I also I am known. And now what? Abideth. Hmm? Now abideth. Not residence. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. But the greatest of these is charity. You know something? He that is forgiven little loveth little. He that is forgiven much loveth much. Perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. Turn back to our text in John chapter 15. See, Jesus is the true vine. The saved are the branches. And we're to abide in the vine. We're to rest there. To dwell in and with. To continue permanently or to be in the same state with the vine. To be firm in that and unmovable, immovable. To remain and to continue in. That's what it means to abide. First John, or John chapter 15, verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. What's the thing that cleans the branches? The word. Look at verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words what? Abide in you, ye shall have ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Abiding is tied to this book. It can't be any other way. It can't be based on your emotions. Love is an action, it's a choice, it's not an emotion. Because emotions wax and wane. They go strong and then they go weak. That's not God's love. We read about charity because charity is God's love flowing through the believer to those who need to see it. A verse that tells us how to reach the lost, it says, On some have compassion, making a difference. They can see the compassion of Christ. And others hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. That love should be the first choice. See, because in our text, we're told that the Word is what will make us abide in Him. It's what will clean us up. I need to be re-cleaned every day. 
Am I saved? I have been since April 10th, 1977. I took up residence in Jesus Christ, identified with Him. But to abide in Him and to abide with Him will not happen if His Word is not active in my daily life. Amen? Amen. And He gives this life for a very specific purpose. Look at verse 4. We'll start there. Abide in Me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in Me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in Me and I in him, the same bringeth forth what? Much fruit. For without Me you can do... I dare say that most Christians, myself included, many times spend about 95% in our flesh. You know how I know? Pride goeth before a fall. Pride goeth before destruction, the haughty spirit before the fall. Okay? If I get offended when someone's speaking to me, or if I have the outright need to always be right, you know what I'm not doing? I'm not abiding in Him. Not abiding in Him. He's always right. And for me to understand that, I must always go to Him through His Word. Are you abiding in Christ this morning? I didn't ask you if you were saved. I asked you, are you abiding in the vine? See, because the branches are supposed to bear fruit. But it's not my fruit. It's His fruit bore through me. Just like it's His love that's to flow through me. Branches can't produce their own fruit. The only fruit comes when they're abiding in the vine. 1 John 2 and verse 6, it says, He that saith he abideth in him, that's in Jesus, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 1 John 2 and verse 6. When Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the people, and they brought a woman taken in adultery. And they said, we took her in the very act. It always amazes me. You know who wasn't there with her? You know who they didn't point out? There's a saying, it takes two to tango. Jesus didn't respond to them. He didn't look at the woman in condemnation. Can you imagine it today? Man, she'd probably have a whole bunch of tats, wouldn't she? 
she'd have on the attire of a harlot. Wouldn't she? She'd be one of those people. That's what religious people do. Jesus just knelt down and wrote in the dirt. I've looked at that. I think he started writing out the Ten Commandments. You know, maybe you thought he wrote something else. Maybe he wrote the first and great commandment. Maybe he wrote, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you know there's people who want to act out when you go to witness to them because they believe you stand in judgment of them because they look different than you? You know what the Apostle Paul said? I don't need to go out and get tattoos to witness to a person with tattoos. I need to deal with them as one person to another. Amen? It said she was taken in the very act. You know what he said? As all her accusers left, I've got to walk very carefully because Mary Lou said that if I got close to the edge over here like this, she was going to kill me. If you fall down and get hurt, I'm going to kill you. Okay, so I only got within that much on that side, so I'm going to come over to this side. She warned me about that side, not this side. What was Jesus' response to the woman taken in the act? When it said those accusers left starting with the Elder, because they knew they were guilty. Man, men, the Bible says if a man looketh upon a woman with lust in his heart, he hath committed already with her. And you wonder why there's no confidence in the home with their spouse. And Jesus said to her, Woman, where is thine accusers? And she said what? Basically, there's none. They've all left. And he said, Neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. He came not to condemn. He came to save. So, if I'm saying I'm going to abide in Jesus Christ, you know what I need to do? I need to walk as He walks. Except when those stinking drivers cut me off on the road. Michael and I rode up to the Dr. Howe's yesterday. Someone said, he wasn't open yesterday. You must have a special relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Cruz loves me. He does. Many many have been treated by him. He loves me. You know why? It's not because I'm anything special, but I led his dad to the Lord before he died. I went to the hospital. I prayed over him when he was in coma. And he came out and asked to talk to me. I led him to the Lord. I visited him when he was put in a hospice house. 
all I was trying to give him is what Jesus gave to me. You say, why is that important? Because it's his fruit, not mine. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're coming back to John 15. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. From verse 19 through 21, we're told what the works of the flesh are. In verse 22, we're told what the fruit of the Spirit is. Whose fruit is it then? Is it my fruit? It's His fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and what's that first thing on the list? Charity suffereth long and is kind. You mean when someone mistreats me, if the Spirit's going to have fruit in my life, I've got to reach to them in love. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, Evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another. Tender hearted. That's a heart that's tender. Isn't that kind of like what love is? A heart tender to the other. Tender hearted. And I think. In our Sunday school hour, something was mentioned about the need of forgiveness. For family to be there, there's got to be forgiveness. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Forgiven me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, and if you're saved, you live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. See in our text, in John 15, in verse 2, yeah, verse 2. <laughs> In verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth what? More fruit. More fruit. Verse 5. 
I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. I planted, or my wife and I, we, we bought, we planted 12, 10 different types of apple trees on one end of the, right near the, the road. So you can't accuse me of trying to bait the deer. I can't shoot that close to the road. Okay. We planted these apple trees. And I've had to dig around them and fertilize around them because they're young, they're small, they look that will-o'-wisp that sticks up. Okay. And I've had to keep the animals from eating them, but the, I wanted them to produce more and I wanted them to grow healthy. So a bunch of them had these little apples on them. You know what I had to go do? Snap them off when they first developed. You know why? Because I don't want them producing fruit before they're ready, which is not healthy for the tree. I want it to do it in its proper time. It says we're to bear more fruit. We're to bear much fruit. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it what? You know, there's some vines, I mean some branches, that start to bear fruit and then they wilt on the vine. Something comes, something gets in the way. I walked in, my wife was having a conversation with the first couple that Judy and I ever led to the Lord. She was talking to Dave and Joni McIntyre. They live in, in Maine right now. He's like a brother to me. Okay, but that was Judy's first soul, I believe, and I think he was, David was probably my first soul. And they're up there and they put all these plants in and he's turning around and he says, but my tomato plants have been devastated because he goes, ask Judy, and she's asked Judy, you ever seen a tomato worm? They're ugly suckers, aren't they? They're green and about that long and they can bite and it hurts. And they got, tried to get rid of them, but on one night they came in and they took the tops off of all of her tomato plants. She says, we were hoping to be able to can up a lot of stuff and now we probably won't get anything. The, the leaves on that plant are going to wilt. Started right. And it has to start with residence in Jesus Christ, doesn't it? We have an example. Okay? First, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 13. We're coming back to John 15. Matthew 13. <clears throat> Thank you. Some of you are wondering, how come he gets water and I don't have any? That's because I'm talking now. Matthew 13, verse 3. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of the earth. 
And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they what? And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell unto good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, and some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 18. Jesus says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth it away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which is received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and, and on with joy receiveth it. But he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that received among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. We've had people who got saved in this church, started to be, they were disciples, started growing up in this church, and they moved for a job before they knew where they were going to go attend. Deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word and becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed unto the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth what? Fruit. And bringeth forth some a hundredfold and some sixty and some thirty. Every time I read that passage, you know, I've had someone tell me that only the last one was saved. And I say, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. That the first three were lost and the last one is saved. I believe the third one is saved. Took up residence in Christ. But at some point, they stopped letting the Word of God purify them. And they returned to which that which they came out of. Every time I read that, Demas comes to mind. You know, in Colossians 4, I think it's verse 24, Demas is mentioned by the Apostle Paul in his salutation along with Luke. He was a compatriot. He was a preacher boy being trained under the Apostle Paul. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now we know this passage, 2 Timothy 4, is the Apostle Paul's. He's waiting to be put to death. He's come to the end of his life. Verse 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. To abide means to continue permanently in to be unmovable, to remain, to continue. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all that love his appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. He wants Timothy to come before he passes. Because he says, For Demas hath what? Having loved this present world, is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Demas, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. At some point, he stopped abiding. Stopped abiding. Go back to our text. John chapter 15. I don't know if Russ remembers the conversations at times. See, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a husbandman. When I don't know something, I like to ask somebody who has knowledge in that area. He has more knowledge in more areas than most people that I know. And that's not to, to brag on him. There's some, some things he doesn't know. But I know this. For years and years and years, he's had part of his farm be fruit. And it was a long time ago when I'd asked Russ, why is Wilner Molione, who got saved in this church, who got baptized in this church, who became a Demas, and I preached his funeral in this church. But I asked him, why is Wilner out there in the wintertime trimming limbs? And Russ goes, well, Brian, you need to understand, that's when the sap flows back into the roots. They kind of go in a dormant or a slow stage. It's almost like the tree goes to sleep. And that way you're not hurting or hindering the tree. You're not wasting its life force or its sap. And so you can trim away the unfruitful part of it. And when you do that, it produces better fruit. You know, I think about that, okay? Because in our text, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Have you ever felt like sometimes it gets quiet with you in the Lord? And you want to be back where you just knew God was speaking to you. And He's dealing with you. And then all of a sudden it just seems like, Lord, you're not talking to me the same. That might be a time where verse 2 comes into play. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he what? That it may bring forth more fruit. And I got thinking about that, you know, and that's why I knew 
When those little apples came on those whips, that I needed to go take the apples off, I wasn't ready to bear the fruit. If I let the fruit grow and the, limb, the tree was that weak, it can bend the tree over, pull it over, and, and cause it to be damaged. So I took it off. Now, I didn't wait till the winter to do it. I had to do it when they first came up. But you know, sometimes we go through those, seems like a winter time in our Christian walk, and things get quiet. And you sit there and you go, Lord, restore in me a right spirit. Lord, I want to hear you. And sometimes God is just pruning. Okay, He's taking away something in your life that when it's the right time, you'll produce more fruit. I don't know about you, but sometimes there needs to be things cut out of my life. You know that pruning hurts? Hurts spiritually? You ever felt like sometimes somebody cut you off or cut you back? it hurts. But you know what it does do? When you give it to God, you look into His Word, you see where your life force comes from. See, because out of His belly shall flow rivers of living water. It'll make you stronger. For the abundance, I'm not quoting this quite right. For the abundance of the revelations given unto me, revealed unto me, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. That he should what? Buffet me. For which thing I besought the Lord thrice. But he said unto me, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Rather, I glory in my infirmities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, sometimes that pruning, it's done in the wintertime. It's done when that sap isn't flowing quite right. It's done sometimes in the quiet times of your spiritual walk. And it's done then so that when you're willing to let His love flow, the fruit will be better. It'll be stronger. First Corinthians chapter 3. See, <clears throat> my son AJ, when I was hurt, Michael was too young, Heather was too young, and I was too broken. We had agreed when we decided to homeschool our children that that's what Judy's primary 
job or ministry would be because if you're homeschooling, it's not just a job. It's a ministry. And then I got hurt so badly I couldn't work and I couldn't earn. We had our kids in Southwest Christian School. They were in the homeschool extension program. It cost at that time 500 for each kid. And we couldn't pay for it. <clears throat> AJ paid for it. Because someone taught him the value of quality fruit. Mr. Gutman taught him how to pick it, how to protect it, how not to bruise it. So it was worth more. And then A.J. went to work for Youngman's Farm up towards Wilkett. And he used to get paid three times as much on a bin as the migrant workers did. And he didn't pick as much as they did because he couldn't pick as fast because he was more concerned with the quality of the fruit. See, because when you pick it and it's not bruised and it's not punctured, it's not marred, that's the best fruit. That's supposed to be the fruit when you see it in the store that costs more. It has better quality. And he was taught how to do that. And his speed came up some, but he never could compete with the other pickers. But he seemed to make more than the other pickers. And when I couldn't pay for my family, my two other children to go to school, because A.J. learned the, the value of quality over quantity, he paid for his brother and sister to go to school. At 14 years of age, he paid for them to go to school. Because he was willing to learn how to produce better quality. Say, why are you emphasizing that? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The vine and the branches. I'm giving you an illustration and my kids hate it. I think Michael forewarned Carla. My grandson said, you're going to use us, aren't you, Papa? Yeah. I use my children as illustrations. I use my wife as an illustration. I get beat when I go home. But it's okay. It's a very short stick. She just said, that's a dollar. Okay. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 3. You ready? Verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because every because it shall be revealed by fire 
and the fire shall reveal every man's work according to the amount of it. Of what? What sort it is? You know what's a reference to? What quality is it? If any man's work abide, he ha- which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. See, because you know what happens? You're not going to be judged on the quantity. You're going to be judged on the quality of the love that you let God flow through you. Back to our text. And we'll close. And all God's people said, Amen. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he shall be cast forth as a branch and withered. And men gather them and cast them where? And they are burned. That's not hell. That's not hell. Men don't gather people and cast them into hell. See, you know what happens? They get burned. You ever see a backslidden Christian? You know what they feel like? They feel like they've just been burned by the people around them. Amen? They're not good for building. They've been burned by men. And all they do is they can provide a little heat. They don't produce fruit anymore. They provide a little heat. That's all. You say, what do you mean with that? They become an example that the world says they claim to be saved just like you and look at their life. And when you spend time in your Word, you can say yes, but guess what? You're not going to answer for them. They provide a little heat. They provide a little opening. Because you know something? You know what the world knows, even when you don't want them to? That if you're truly saved, you'll never be like them again. You can't be. You've gone into their world and you don't fit. Because you quit abiding and letting God's Word purge you, you don't feel like you fit any longer with the believers. You know what Jesus says to that? All those that come unto me, I will in no wise. I've had someone ask me, well, at what point does it get to the place where a person can't repent and get restored? And I said, I don't know that. God knows that. I know this. While there is life, while there is breath, there is. There's hope for somebody to be saved. There's hope for somebody to be restored. That's the truth of the vine and the branches. I don't know who's going to be saved. So i got to tell them all, don't I? And I don't know who's going to be restored. 
So I've got to reach to them all. Don't I? Please stand. I asked you this morning, are you part of the true vine? If someone were to ask you today that if you were to die, that you know that heaven would be your home, that you know that you're saved, your sins are forgiven, you belong to Jesus. Do you glory in that? Never lose sight of that if you're saved. If you're not saved, if you're not sure if you were to die that heaven would be your home, you need to know this. If heaven's not your home, hell is where you will reside for all eternity. You want to go to heaven? The invitation's open. You come and we'll have someone show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. Want to go to heaven? Trust Christ. You want to go to hell? Any other way will do. You want the peace of God that passes all understanding? You've got to abide in the vine. Please, don't be one that is withered, gathered by men, and cast into the fire. Did God speak in your heart this morning? You know, it's not a fair, it's not a show of someone to someone else. Invitation time is when you're willing to be honest with God and you've let something in. And you're spending more time in your flesh than you are abiding with Him in the Spirit. If God's speaking to your heart, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I wasn't going to preach this message. I worked on a message all week long, a different message, and then I prayed yesterday. And God gave me this. And then I listened to the Sunday school hour this morning and now I understand why. So if God is speaking to your heart this morning, if you need to come to the Savior, let us show you. Don't leave this place without knowing that you're saved. If you are saved and you've let something in this world get between you and Him, and if it's something you have to hide, then it's between you and Him. Because the guilty flee when no man pursueth. And God speaks to me all the time about what are you doing, Bryant? Why'd you do it that way? Is that how I would have had you do it? He that saith he biteth in him ought to what? Walk as he walked. God speaking to your heart, you come.